Today's guest and your mentor for the next 40-odd minutes is the incredible Claire Velotti from Snapchat. Having completed a degree in politics, Claire quickly realised that this wasn't going to be the career for her and pivoted into marketing and advertising, spending a number of years at Mindshare. She then moved into tech with Facebook and in 2016 was headhunted to become the GM responsible for launching and growing Snapchat in Europe and she's since progressed to become VP of International. It was such a pleasure hearing about Claire's career, which has seen her recognised as one of Business Insider's most powerful women. In today's chat, we discuss a range of topics, including how Claire's upbringing helped to shape her career and how her parents instilled certain qualities and values that have helped shape her into the leader that she is today, how she managed to secure leadership roles at two social media giants, and in the case of Snap, she received an offer when pregnant and joined two weeks before the birth of her second child. Plus, Claire's first-hand experience of climbing the ranks in a largely male-dominated tech industry, and what she thinks tech businesses can do differently to help promote diversity and inclusion. Claire is one of the most inspiring and high-profile female leaders in tech, and it was an absolute joy to have her on the podcast. She gave a truly honest and candid insight into her career, and shared so many insightful pieces of advice. So whether you're a job seeker, an aspiring GM, or a leader in tech, there is something in here for everyone. So with all that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with the brilliant Claire Velotti. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today on The 40 Minute Mentor. It's great to have you here. I'd like to start, as I always do, with a 30-second overview of your CV, if that's all right. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you, James. Um, excited to be here. I think that's usually the hardest question because that's usually the question <laughs> I ramble on. Um, I started, um, I finished my degree in 2000 at Nottingham, having done a politics degree. And I had the sort of parents, they have their own business, which was very much, you're not going to have a year traveling, uh, go get a job. <laughs> so I started my career at Mindshare in the UK business, fell into digital advertising not that anyone really knew what that was other than I was buying banners on the internet back in the day and I really kind of grew grew kind of my career grew at Mindshare I was there for 11 years and I kind of grew up there went on to do just not just internet but then obviously as mobile scaled I got involved in mobile and because to be frank no one knew anything else didn't know much about the space it was growing fast so as a result I grew with it and I I really did um, have a bit of luck because I couldn't have predicted that was going to happen and as a result I got more management experience and uh, during the end of my time at Mindshare I was on the management board so really had an opportunity to sort of shape and help kind of direct the company which is always very exciting. I then knew very quickly towards the later stages of my time at Mindshare that I wanted to be on the more kind of commercial side of of our industry which is what we cast as the media owner, i.e. the people kind of selling advertising space. So off I went to O2 which I was really passionate about their proposition O2 Media whereby you were using customer insights to sell targeted advertising using uh, text messaging. So I went to be the MD of that business that then very quickly 10 months in we did a JV with the other operators in the UK which was called Weave. I stayed there for a period of time I wanted to integrate the business help set it up and then uh, Facebook came calling so off I went to Facebook to run their agency business and then two and a half years into that essentially Snapchat came calling we were launching the business in the UK and it was a role I couldn't resist and I went off to do that. 
Amazing. There, there are so many things to discuss in, in based on that, um, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking it over the course of our chat. But you, you, you alluded to your your parents, and I'm always interested in sort of leaders' upbringing uh, and you know the the effect that parenting can have on careers. So um, they were clearly a big inspiration to you growing up. So what what for you were the biggest learnings that stuck with you from them, and how did that help kind of shape the career that you've you've got now? I mean, to be clear, my parents shaped everything. Like, it, it, I can't, whenever I'm even in interviews, they come up a lot. I actually did a, an interview with my mum for International Women's Day last year with the FT, talking about how much my upbringing has shaped who I am and how I work. So my parents have a hotel, bed and breakfast in King's Cross. We lived in it until I was... 10 and because they are in the hospitality business it's open seven days a week and their work ethic is kind of like second to none so I thought that was normal to just you work hard you do well and that was very much a value they've they've instilled in me and it and it still stayed with me a lot and everyone often talks about the fact I go on about that work ethic the other piece which I really respect and have always admired about my parents they're really authentic like you know in in our industry or in industry full stop this word authentic gets overused it feels like it's a very um popular phrase right now but my parents wouldn't even really recognize they were being authentic and what I mean by that is my parents went on to do well for themselves but my father and my mum have always stayed very true to who they are there's no airs uh, and graces it's very much we're all equal and we're all in it together and that's how they run their business and that's actually that's how they operate in life and that was very much something they taught me. I would always say, say um, we often look, we, we talk about this at Snap a lot, about finding people that think as owners and not renters. That was always something I had from the offset. Like I treat yeah. a company I work in like it's my own. And there's downsides to that because I can be quite emotional because I care so much. But absolutely an owner mentality is something. So if I see something, someone's dropped a a piece of paper on the floor I would pick that up you don't wait for someone who's there Mm -hmm. responsible for cleaning the office like everyone should be sort of doing their bit Um, and the last bit is just like kind of touching on it but actually it's important just that the importance of yes we're equal but equally you treat everyone equally it doesn't matter what your role in a company is everyone's playing their part for the greater good and that's just something my parents have always just they haven't taught it to me I've just seen it 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 just became like organic And actually, I really think about my parenting style now. And actually, I can see I'm getting a lot wrong because I haven't got the privilege of having my kids in my business. So yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to teach it, which is a lot harder than demonstrating it. Yeah, that's 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 a really interesting point. I feel very similar, actually, in terms of the, the impact my parents had. It's like you, completely different industries. My, my folks are, are teachers and actually priests, so uh, which I did not go down that route, so to say. <laughs> but definitely the work ethic and, and and I think just treating people right. I think there's there's a lot a lot in that. Well, the start of your, I guess your first work experience to some extent was in the family business, it sounds like. But um, you mentioned falling into to advertising. And that's something a lot of people say about headhunting and recruitment, actually. You don't always plan for the career. And you studied politics at university. So sort of how did you end up at Mindshare? And, and did you did you have aspirations one day to, to be in number 10 Downing Street? What was the plan there? I've got a lot of opinions, but I don't know if they're, <laughs> they're cut out for to be the prime minister. I arguably sort of fell into politics to start with because I was doing A-levels. I wasn't academic. I did well academically because I worked hard. There you go. There's a a theme here. 
but politics I remember I thought I said oh should I do law I remember my headmistress saying well if you want to go I wanted to go to Nottingham and she said if you want to go there it's very hard university to get politics might be an easier route to get in than doing law because right. it's just more competitive is the truth um, but, and I, I really enjoyed just learning about the world I've always been a curious person I think politics ultimately is that and so after doing my degree it was that pressure particularly when you go to universities like Nottingham to get on a grad scheme so you know I did go around the houses and kind of just follow what everyone else was doing but I had done some work experience at 16 when I was at school uh, in Leo Burnett and I was very privileged because it was um, a parent at one of the girls at school that offered the work experience and I remember thinking oh this is fun it was when it was full, full service agencies and media was in the basement and and it was you know and then the creators were kind of at the top and, and they were creating directors I, I got to work do work experience with and I thought oh this is great it was very much around people thinking creatively but yeah. also grounded in business and I thought this is exciting but the truth was it was so hard to get in a creative agency all the grad schemes are just so, it's just so competitive I applied for a few didn't get anywhere and then someone told me about this thing called media media agents were relatively new they just unpacked the, the, the full service uh, model so I applied to some media agencies and before I knew it I had got a job at Mindshare in this thing called digital and uh, the rest is history yeah what a, a fortuitous move in the end I mean that's that's amazing um it does remind me a bit when I first watched Mad Men I all of a sudden thought all right I have to get into this industry I was never going to be right for it but um but I, no, would, I would add one thing James I think politics degree looking back actually has given me quite a lot of skills because the thing um you do when you do a politics degree and actually I was also fortunate I was head girl of my school I had to do quite a lot of public speaking early on in my my journey so and in the politics degree you do quite a lot of presenting right. and actually we underestimate how important being able to articulate your argument is in any business actually but i think in our industry such a people-led industry that i think it's so important that you can deliver an argument in a positive way and i think that's a skill i got without meaning to arguably it just it, it just happened through my journey but i do think that helped me an awful lot Absolutely. Out of interest, have you always been a people person and confident standing up and presenting or, or have you had to really hone those skills over the years? I think I've got thrown into it over the years. I've always had that little bit of panic because I'm not, like I mentioned, not the traditional academic. I wasn't a confident reader when I was really young. So if you asked me to speak to the class, I used to panic and go, I might not be able to say the right words. And However, I think I've always been very comfortable in my own skin. I've definitely, I think that goes back to my parents. I've always kind of accepted who I am. And as a result, when you stand up and you don't try, I don't see it as a performance. Some people I can see when they present, do a lot of prep and they're quite scripted. That's not my style. I tend to stand up or sort of almost sometimes be a bit too authentic, you could argue. But because of that approach, I think it's allowed me to be quite relaxed with public speaking. And it probably yeah. came quite naturally. And I think people can really tell as well when you are just, speaking from the heart and you know um i think that is very authentic um that's really interesting i mean you, you've got on to hold i mean we'll, we'll come in and talk about the experience at facebook and, and snap as well and you've worked for these incredible companies but when you when you look back at the start of your career what were some of those skills you gained in in the earlier part so at, at mindshare where, where you clearly progressed very very quickly but how's that helped your career I think media agencies in particular right now have been going through quite a tough time and it saddens me actually because I think media agencies are phenomenal places for talent to learn to grow and I think they have a really important part to play in the uh, advertising ecosystem 
And the reason why I say I think they're really key to nurturing talent, because you get a lot of exposure to different things very quickly, whatever area you're in 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 a media agency. So when I look back at my time at at Mindshare, I learned very quickly about the sort of sort of the practice of advertising, like how you think about planning in terms of what uh, channels you use sort of the sort of the philosophy behind what you're doing and the importance of the consumer insight and understanding the data side of that because I was in digital very early on I had to understand you know how to set up a campaign to become I'm not naturally a technical person but I was you know trafficking campaigns and understanding how a pixel had to be implemented and that might not seem important but where we are today having the understanding of that ecosystem, even though I'm not advanced at it anymore, I still understand that the sort of the thinking, which yeah. allows me to, to operate differently. And I think a lot of people that move into digital sometimes struggle with that. Because the industry was moving very fast, I was presenting and being exposed to very senior clients very early on in my career, which right. again, client servicing in not just in advertising and in, in most industries you have to be able to do. And I got to do that very quickly. I was also my job because when you're a digital planner buyer, you have to know what's out there. So you spend your days meeting interesting companies, startups, more established businesses, old uh, traditional businesses becoming digital. And you have a lot of catch ups about what they're doing. So you learn about what's going on in the mm. industry and what's interesting, what needs work. So quite quickly, you just have this just depth of knowledge. And the other thing, when you stay in one place for 11 years, I worked on most sectors. So when I talk to clients now, whether it's on CPG or FMCG, as we call it in the UK, versus uh, tech or so, I can hold my own and talk about experiences I've had in most, on most, most areas. Yeah. And actually, even my husband and I talk a lot about it. He'll be like, how do you know that? It's like, well, I used to run this account, even though it might be yeah. many years ago. The principles are still there. And the last bit I would say is I built a network because I was dealing with clients and people that were selling to us and industry players. Before you know it, you have a brilliant network. And I think that's how you learn through your network. Yeah, that's so many great points there. I think it's so rare these days for someone to stay at a company for that amount of time, um, which in itself is, is, is always it's nostalgic to look back and think, well, but this is the benefit of it is having that exposure, progressing, really honing your skills and craft. And I'm, I'm constantly telling people, I know it is the, the fad now to move every 18 months and two years. And, and there's benefit to that too. But there is also something to be said for, for staying somewhere and, and progressing in one company. I think people need to recognize staying in the same place doesn't mean you don't progress. Yes. Because actually I think you can learn an awful lot. Even I'm happy to talk about it later. Like you can move horizontally and learn a lot. It doesn't always have Mm -hmm. to be moving up, but I think people shouldn't make the assumption one company equals you haven't got a different experience because I think that actually you can grow very quickly in the same place. Yeah, I I completely agree. Well, you, you, moved on you mentioned the o2 experience which sounded fascinating and then landed at facebook as uh, as director of agency partnerships which must have been an amazing time to be there can you tell our listeners a bit about what it's really like to work for one of those social media giants and kind of how you ended up there in the first place and and i guess also what what made you decide to leave uh, to go to snap when you did okay well that's many questions in one um... <laughs> sorry <laughs> I think we have this sort of bubble or this perception about US tech companies. Like it's so different. I think there are some differences. I think companies that sort of their DNA is tech, essentially, that they've grown up in just move faster. 
and there's no ways about it, no two ways about it, they do move faster. And I do think there is something in the US culture that I, I want us to bring more to the UK is that optimism, that positive leadership. I'm not saying we're not positive in the UK, but you know, I do business across all, all uh, across the world, and you can see that I think sometimes we look for barriers, or we're more kind of nervous to take risk or open to failure. Whereas I think in the US there is this optimism around when you do things and how you you move your company forward. So I definitely think I did take that a lot. Like I learned a lot. The other thing which I think tech companies do very well, which I think we'll see more and more companies adopt, is matrix organisations. And I think that's what I did learn at Facebook, how you navigate a matrix, because your leadership style has to adapt because you don't have a, a traditional hierarchy of everyone reports into you and therefore you can set the sort of gender and hope that people come on that journey. You have to really collaborate and really partner and allow people to really see your vision to be part of it when they're not in your traditional kind of team or organisation. Mm. I think the, uh, the other piece I would say is... I've always tried to be like this, but that sort of solutions, being solution orientated and curious and, you know, because tech companies move fast, therefore they change a lot very quickly. So you have to be agile. So when you see with change often creates challenges and opportunity, but when you see challenges, you have to have solutions. I'm not saying we don't do that outside of tech, but tech has it, it happens faster. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's some really, really good points there. And for anyone that's listening, that's looking to move to that sort of environment, that, that's really helpful. I think that's one more, James, oh, actually, yeah. a really important point, actually, for your listeners. The other thing about tech, they can have a flatter structure. So what I think in more traditional businesses, it's an obvious hierarchy, it's like what I touched on before about your career path. Yeah. In tech, it's definitely can be more linear. So I think you can learn as much, but it looks different. So your career path is not always a, an organic career path where like at Mindshare, I started uh, as an account executive, then you move up and you kind of always know your next steps, which has real value. But equally, I think in the modern world we're in today, and I think tech companies are setting the bar for this, is how do people progress? But it's not in a traditional kind of title change. It might be you go horizontal. Mm, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And your your point around the optimism of leaders, particularly in, in US tech companies, is, is a really good one. And a really, I, I am probably one of the most positive people you'll meet. And I am always trying to champion the power of positive leadership. But um, I, I think also that point about not being too scared of failure. And that's something that is almost a badge of honor in the US, isn't it? That yeah, How many failures have you had before you make it? Um, and I think there's something we can all learn from that. What would you say were the, the biggest highlights from that time at Facebook? I think most of my career, I always answer it with people. Like I think, yeah. and I, I think as I'm, I'm getting older and reflecting more and, and probably having different perspectives, again, being a mum, like changed me a great deal. I think I want to work with people like I like to work with, who I can learn from, we can have fun together. And yeah, I just think people, but I don't think that was unique to Facebook. I think I've tried to work in companies where I've genuinely enjoyed the people I work with. And I, my mm. mantra is like, life is too short. And if I'm going to leave my kids and go to work, I want to love what I do. You alluded to getting this sort of tap on the shoulder from Snapchat um, to be the, I guess you joined as the GM for Northern Europe back in 2016. It must have been a, a really exciting time to join the business and I guess be tasked with growing the business here. What were the biggest challenges for you coming into that role and in that initial kind of six months, first year of trying to scale the UK and European business? 
well, I suppose you could argue the, the initial challenge was when uh, Snap, and this shows what sort of company Snap is, they hired me pregnant. Oh, right. So okay. I'd had lots of problems having, uh, I had lots of problems our first child and the second I had lots of problems and I was finally pregnant. Uh, but I had said to my husband about a year and a half when like prior to that, I always said, you know, one day if something like Snap comes to the UK, I'd love to be considered to run it. Like I knew I wanted to have that sort of leadership role in a tech company where I could really build something and shape a culture. And I was finally pregnant. I was out of the sort of danger zone because we'd had lots of challenge. And I got uh, the message from Snap, would you be interested? And I, I, wow. I never forget the conversation But my <laughs> husband said, don't do what you usually do. Don't just say, no, it's not right. Say you'll have a conversation. Yeah. And I said, timing's not great, but I'm happy to have a conversation. And I had the conversation very upfront about that. I felt I was pregnant because, you know, I had nothing to lose. I always thought that they would be great, like just to have the contacts and it. it's always mm. great to build your network. And the rest is history. They offered me the job. I joined the company two weeks before having my second child. Really? That's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then I had, they gave me, I, I mean, then I, we agreed I was going to have about six months, you know, off because I, you yeah. know, I was realistic. I was there to build a business. It would have been hard to have longer. And that was the, a big compromise, but yeah. I was so excited about the opportunity. So the, the hardest six months was sort of being in a new job, but not being yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. But actually, it was amazing because not being in it from the offset allowed me to observe what we were doing a little bit. And I was understanding the business. And it was very easy for me then when I was officially in to sort of know what I needed to do. So actually, right. in some ways, I probably made as much impact in the first 12 months, even if yeah. I, you know, without yeah. having been in the business for the first six of it. That story is so important for, for firms listening and, and to show that that does happen. And that I think there are probably too many examples of where people, I mean, women's careers have been inhibited by companies, maybe not taking that sort of what you could say is a chance on somebody. But it's wonderful that they did. And it, it's, it's obviously proved hugely successful. Evan flew over from LA because they knew I wasn't going to fly over for the interview. Like they, made, they went above wow. and beyond to support my hire. That's incredible. So you, you kind of, I guess you had the six months of observing, came in, you know, probably raring to go. Tell us a bit about how did you go about building the business here? Like what, what, what does that actually involve? It's, I think you have to take a step back and think about what you're trying to achieve. So I tried to learn. I had the, the, the advantage that we had launched in the US. And I always think as a leader, you can never be too proud. Always be happy to ask what's worked and what's not. And, you know, and you can replicate and that's okay, right? So I spent a bit of time understanding what had been working for us in the US business to then think, well, where am I going to make my bets in terms of who are the right partners that we should kind mm. of start building, partnerships we should start building? And therefore, what type of talent do we need to look for and grow? I also, and I think this is partly my experience I'd got from Facebook of understanding the Matrix organization, knew very quickly it was really important for me to have a great networking within our company if I was going to be successful and make impact actually because my role often is about enabling my team I can only enable my team if I understand how our business operates at a broader level and therefore can leverage those relationships to help enable my team so it was really the beginning bit was about setting up the structure of the team setting us up for success learning from the US, building that network for myself so I could enable and understand how Snap My Rule was operating. And then the third piece is your external piece. How do you take your business to market? Because once you do it once, you can't go back if you get it wrong. Mm, mm. And I'm a believer sometimes we rush things sometimes in businesses because that need to just be seen to be doing something. But we try to be really thoughtful 
and try to really think about what is it we want to tell people about SNAP. Because once you've set, set your stall out, it's hard to change perception. You can build on it. So they were kind of the three ways I thought about how we were going to be kind of successful. Fantastic. I I think there'll probably be some GMs listening to this or aspiring GMs. We do recruit those types of positions. So I'd love your opinion on what makes a good GM um, and any advice for people listening that want to follow in your footsteps. I wish my team could hear this. They'll be like rolling (laughs) their eyes. (laughs) So I think the challenge is with the title. So, you know, whether you call it a general manager or a country manager. I always say to people, and this is in most companies, to be clear, because I think some companies can be different. But I think on the whole, a country manager is usually responsible for the performance of the business, which let's be candid, the performance of a business usually ties back to revenue. So I always say to people, and I used to say this when people used to say, even now when people say what I do for a living, I say, I am responsible for driving revenue for my business. And if you remember, that's your core role. And you you focus on delivering that. And then the other stuff, which, which is equally important, but if you don't do the revenue part right, the other stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. So, and I know I'm not trying to belittle role because the, the role is an amazing role and the breadth of it because you are leading a business for, for a country. The other part of the role, which is for me of being the spokesperson for the company, you know, in your country, you are setting culture, shaping the identity. You are essentially really being the voice of the country internally so so the company knows what you need to be successful so it's kind of multifaceted but you have to be realistic and remember that you are there to drive revenue if you spend too much time on the other stuff at the cost of revenue then you fail yeah that's a great, great point. Yeah. So anyone listening to this, focus on the revenue. <laughs> yeah, no, ultimately. And I, I think yeah. sometimes we can get carried away with the grandeurs of titles sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, businesses, you know, whatever type role you are, you have to make impact. And impact usually at a very senior level equals revenue impact. Great advice. Great advice. And, and you, you started in that GM role and then are now the VP for international, which... I'd imagine is a very demanding but rewarding role. What does a typical day look like for you now at at Snap? Um, And what are the best bits of the job? And I wouldn't say it was more demanding than the GM role. It's different. And it really is quite different because I I have to be more agile. I don't go deep on on one market, right? So, So I have to have an understanding. And I've got, you know, markets from the UK to the Middle East to Australia. Like they all look very different in terms of, how snap shows up how what clients need so i think what i've learned very quickly in a role like mine you really have to lean in and listen and i know that word listen gets used a lot but you have to listen and learn fast i have to be able to talk on a topic in you know in a meeting with our exec about what's going on uh, in norway and what's happened on this particular client or what's happening in the market versus what's happened in in australia so you really do have to understand market nuances and culture. I think I had a head start on that because originally my family are Italian and French. So I've been okay. raised in a world of like, I don't know, I'm interested in people's backgrounds and, mm. and actually the differences and how that's interesting. And what I've loved about this role is you learn how that shows up in business. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but being thoughtful to that and having empathy because it, it looks different. And I would say there isn't a typical day. I probably would split it into three areas are, which is probably the internal stakeholder bit. Like I have to yeah. sort of answer to the business and partner with the business to make sure the international voice and needs are heard. I do a lot of stuff with my actual team. So we come together a lot as a leadership team because as much as we all have a lot of differences by country, there are actually quite a lot of things that, that 
bring us together that are similar challenges and then the third piece is the external piece whether it's being a spokesperson for snap talking to press or it's meeting importantly meeting key, key clients and partners so it, it does look very different and particularly now in lockdown it looks very very different because it usually involves some school pickups because my kids are finally at back <laughs> in school so um it's definitely interesting times. Yes, yeah, I can. I will, we will touch upon the pandemic because it would be probably silly not to. But you, you've now spent sort of over five years at Snap. You mentioned when you joined, part of the attraction was this opportunity to build something. But it's also, I guess, I mean, it's been a hugely successful journey and must be a different business now to the one you joined when you did. So, how has the business evolved, and and how do you look on that? Given it's 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 a very different place now. I have such fond memories of the beginning bit in the sense that it was at times chaotic. It's your baby, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like when you, yeah, it definitely feels like your baby. I do get protective. Um, and Ed Couchman, who runs our UK business, I feel sorry for him at times because it is my baby at times. And I have to go, no, Ed, I know I'm not doing that role anymore. And I back off. But it's definitely, you know, it is even the office space and like everything you, know, you feel quite passionate and protective of it I think what's different is I quite like I think I've, I can adapt to the chaos of the startup mentality which I love because it is really like scrappy and all hands on deck and your work ethic plays a really important part but then I quite like the scaled up company as well because I think you can actually make more impact at a greater scale because you're working at a different volume right I think the biggest change I've learned though as you scale is communication. So when you're really small and nimble and scale, people kind of are on your journey with you because they're seeing it, we're in it together, whatever that someone's level is or whatever their role is. As you get bigger, you realize the distance between maybe if you're in a leadership role and everybody can become greater. And actually, I still think people, you need to be connected to everyone is equal, it's equally as important as it was in the startup stage as it is into the scale. So I think I've learned very quickly you have to over communicate, stay true to your style, actually. So because we're bigger, I don't communicate in a different way. I'm still who I am and, and my style's the same, but I'm more mindful that it's not just the communication, but the thought behind the decision making. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think from our perspective as headhunters, when we're doing COO searches and, and exec hires, it's often that the scale-ups the, where the issues have come have been the, the comms break, break down. And uh, just because everyone's so stressed trying to do different things and you think everyone knows what's going on, but actually you're just not communicating enough. And that's where you tend to have culture issues in attrition and various other things. So. And I think it's tough in tech because I think we have a, a higher proportion of probably millennial population in terms of in our, in our businesses. Yeah. And I think that population wants to be part of the sort of, decision-making journey that they, they want to believe in what you're doing and I think that's really really important to understand the importance of that so I yeah. often you know I've, I made some changes in my team recently and I really made an effort to think about sharing the philosophy of those changes not just the changes yeah. I think you've got yeah. to show people the inputs not just the outputs yeah, and I, I think, think the millennial are that that's what what they want for, from their the businesses they work within. No, thanks, thanks, Claire. I think it's a great point. We touched upon the pandemic, uh, which will have, I'm sure, impacted you and your team massively. It's interesting, obviously, with remote working now becoming the norm. But I, I'd imagine that's something you're quite used to because you you know you've worked for U.S. headquartered businesses in in the, your last two roles. What what tips do you have for anyone that may still be adapting to this or companies that have fundamentally going to have to change for the longer term what, what are your tips from dealing with 
different time zones collaborating virtually yeah i took for granted how much i work virtually like if you can yeah. imagine in my role in particular like you know i do performance reviews on a vc like, i i lived i've got like a sort of room in the in our when we are in the office which isn't necessarily meant to be my room but it's, it's by default it's my room because i live on a vc other than the traveling piece so i took for granted how it was just it was like just organic. I didn't, yeah, yeah. didn't think about it. And it did make me realize how far behind, not just businesses, everything, including education, like how far behind we are in working in a digital world and how far ahead tech is in terms of how we operate digitally. The one advice I give people, I think, first of all, like these are basic things, but it's not our tech just works. It's pretty seamless. But if it's not in your company, like get on a call, prior to the time like, before it's meant to start and make sure it works like really basic things and if you're going to present and have to share screen practice it make sure it's going to like because you don't want to show up and tech let you down because i think it throws you and then you don't operate at your best and i think yeah. when you work in that way you have to be very ready to do that um the big thing you mentioned time zones i think when you work in this way and i think it's for everyone in lockdown it's give and take i always talk about the company either being in credit with my time or I owe the company credit. And that was before the lockdown. But I think I've always, like I said, worked this way in the sense that I might do more with the kids in a week because I'm in London at that point. I hadn't been traveling. And therefore I might think, well, next week I might have to accept I'm traveling a bit. I'm not going to be as home as much, but then I get in balance with my credits. And that's a little bit how I operate. And the same goes for time zones. I do quite a lot of calls in the evening for obvious reasons because of the US time zone. So I will, like when I was homeschooling, uh, I've tried to divide and conquer. So I homeschooled the four-year-old. I did two hours every morning. So I didn't start my day till about 11. And that's fine. Okay. Like if people yeah. needed urgent calls or Australian, I, of course I did them. Yeah. And I don't shy away with telling people I do that. Like that's okay because mm. I'm very confident to say I'll be doing calls later on in the evening. Yes. Yeah. I think you've got to own it. Like it's okay. It's about output. And that's the other thing I think as tech businesses do pretty well, it's very output driven yeah. in the sense that, People aren't going to question, like, oh, where's Claire? They're looking at, oh, has Claire delivered this? Well, yes, she has. We don't care where Claire is. And I yes. think that's important to, to sort of change your mindset, be okay with working the hours you need to work. I think that's great. And it's really good to, to hear someone of your seniority, because I think a lot of this has to come from the top down in terms of for you demonstrating that to your business. It's it's so important for others to see that it's okay to work like that. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful we're going to see a real shift in in attitude to, to, to sort of say, work. I would say, I think mine's gone too far, but everyone oh, really? in my entire org or my all hands knows my children. Uh, my eldest, Ariana, <laughs> is fascinated by it all. She has joined the all hands. Everyone knows her. That. So and she knows everyone in my leadership team by name, what country they represent. <laughs> so um, I have definitely role modelling, blending your lives. I like that a lot. Um, I, it's the same for me. The number of Zoom calls that my daughter has kind of interrupted. Uh, and she's She loves it. She thinks it's amazing. No, that's great. That's great. I wanted to come on and talk about something really important, which is the diversity and inclusion agenda. Um, you've when you're at O2, you recognise as Business Insider's most powerful, one of the most powerful women in advertising. Uh, congrats! Um, and you've you've gone on to become, you know, one of the most high-profile female leaders in tech. So, in your opinion, sort of how how are the industries doing when it comes to DNI, uh, which I think in this time more than ever is is prevalent. And what's your advice to any women that are listening to this who may work in advertising or tech, who are kind of looking to progress, you know, in this sort of climate? I think it's never been more important to have these, I kind of say difficult conversations, 
I think gender, we've still got a long way to go, but clearly, given what's going on right now in the world, we've got a lot further to do on a, a whole host of areas. Yeah. But I think it has to start with difficult conversations. And I think I have to say, I feel very proud to work for a company that has really opened up the difficult conversations and really trying to set our stall out to do better. So the thing that I've been talking a lot about, I had a conversation for two hours this morning uh, with one of our ERG groups, um, representing, obviously represent our different um, minority groups in the company. I'm a real action orientated person. I think my, again, going back to my mom and dad, yeah. my dad's saying was always was proof is in the pudding. If you went home and said, I nearly got 70%, he'll be like, you got 69%. And that's a little bit how I tackle most things. And I'm quite well known for that. So I'm really excited to see we're having these difficult conversations and really starting to, I think, educate ourselves more and know that we have to do better. However, most of these problems are systematic, right? They are in the system. And I'm a real believer and we have to act. And I know that's easier said than done, but it's up to me. I think I'm in a role of privilege that I can make change. So if I see things, we had an, um, a see things where I think we could, for instance, have a, a, a more diverse pipeline. I have to call it out. Yeah. So it needs to be I, done. It needs to be hundred percent. And I think we're in danger. I really don't want to create where, you know, everyone's talking about what needs to happen, but not follow through. And I asked the question to, we have, uh, we hired an amazing lady, Una King, who's our VP of DNI at Set Snap. And I asked her the question, how are we going to hold ourselves to account? And she's got some great ideas and initiatives that I feel really confident will, will, be, you know, will, do, will do well. But it's a journey. I think that's the first yeah. thing to say. But yeah. from my point of view, I feel like I've got a personal responsibility in my role to act. And I haven't figured out, I haven't got all the answers, but right. everyone knows I'll call stuff out when I see things that are almost like in the system that need to change. And that's yeah. what my big commitment is right now. That's I didn't great. answer your second question about women. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess any any advice really to, to women that is, I guess are aspiring to have similar careers to you that may have been in a similar position a few years ago. Yeah, any particular point? Do you know what? I mean, not just women. I think be proud of who you are. Like whatever your background, whatever gender, race, I think as you've become more successful, it's usually the success is led by like where you've come from, your journey, right? And actually me being a mum now with three kids, my eldest daughter's premature, has got some additional ones, that's shaping who I am, right? It's making me better. And I think you've got to own it. Like be proud Definitely. of it. Don't apologise for it or be defensive of it. And I've been really open. Like when I interviewed at Facebook, obviously when I interviewed at Snap, like at Facebook, I said I wanted another child. At Snap, I was pregnant. The first thing I told them was that I was pregnant. I'm a really open person. Like it's and I don't shy away from being a mum. Like I tell my team, I won't be in tomorrow. I'm at sports day. I'm not, I'm not excusing myself. I'm telling you that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think you need to decide you want to work for companies that do that. Like I think when I interview a company, I interview them as much as they interview me. And I think the world we're in today, whatever your, like, again, my example, obviously being a mum, gender, I think it's my superpower. So if a company doesn't want my superpower, then I don't want to be in that company. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And yeah, to be your authentic self, I, I absolutely love that. And I hope everyone listening takes that. And 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 because I think it's something we're not all all that great at. And and I think and transparent and openness. Just if we can all be more like that, I think it will make the world a little bit. Better. It takes bravery, and I know that's not yeah. easy for everyone. But my thing has always been: you've got nothing to lose. Like if if, if being brave doesn't work out for you, you're in the wrong place anyway. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. That's, that's, that's great advice. And I must ask you, how do you personally assess talent? Because uh, it 
clearly you've hired very high performing teams. I'm, I'm naturally interested in, in, in all things recruitment and talent. So when you're interviewing, what qualities do you look for? What makes a great candidate from a good candidate for you? A privileged position now, but often when I see a candidate, they usually have the skill sets for the job. We're not yeah. looking at like entry levels. Or, so on mm. the whole, they've come, they're in a pipeline because they've done something in their career that's led them to have the experience to, to do that job. So when I meet people, I really, like the first thing I'm looking for, you're going to think, of them, are they a good human being? Like, I think, again, like I keep saying, like my life's shaping me a lot in terms of what I look for. And I think I want to work with people that are genuinely good human beings. Do I think they share the same sort of values of what we look for at Snap? So at Snap, we talk about being kind, smart, and creative, but it's more about like, do I think their values as a person are going to work with us? And it doesn't always mean you're, 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 you're not bad because the values aren't right, but I'm looking for certain things that I think they can be successful at Snap. And then I, I tend to probe a lot around the how. So even if they've got the skills to do the job, how do they do that job to get that output? And I think that, that I think more companies now, even in talent reviews, are focusing more on the how. And that's I think great. that's increasingly becoming more important. Mm. So, and I, I think the last piece, which is quite tactical, but even at a very senior role in our business, they have to be able to adapt to change and be quite agile, fast, like, and work at a pace. Doesn't mean work really, really hard, like a, but pace. So I do try and probe a little bit around that. Great. Thank you. I'm sure anyone that gets through to interview now will be listening to this and making sure they, they action those points. Um, uh, we are pretty much at the end, Claire. Thank you so much for being such a, a great guest. I wanted to wrap up with our last three questions. And the first one is on, unsurprisingly, mentorship. Do you have a mentor yourself or mentors? And how has mentorship helped your career? I've had mentors at different stages of my career. So I think it's very important. I think we overuse the term like mentor, like mentors often a solution to, oh, I'm having challenges with my career. I need a mentor. I think you have to choose a mentor based on a particular problem you're trying to solve for. So like my example, I've had mentors at different stages, but one really clear example was when I'd really moved into sales, I hadn't, you know, I didn't grow up in sales. I grew up in an advertising agency and I knew I needed to get better at just networking. It sort of just happened naturally for me when I was at Mindshare. But when you become more on uh, the side where you're selling more, you have to put yourself out there more. And I knew that was an area I had sort of a little bit of imposter syndrome on. So I purposely chose a mentor and went to them and said, you're the best networker I know. Can you help me? And so therefore our sessions were really around that and they had a purpose and therefore she was able to add so much value to me. I hope it wasn't a waste on her part because I think, you know, it helped me a great deal. So I've had mentors at different stages, but that's, that's a piece of advice I'd really encourage people to think about what you're getting a mentor for. And then the other piece is what's equally important to mentors is cheerleaders. I know people use that phrase, but I've always believed it. To be successful, you do need to have, find your cheerleaders who aren't going to mentor you necessarily, but you know in a company that, or even in an industry, they're looking out for you. And I feel very blessed that I've got quite a few cheerleaders, and men and women, clearly. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think I think mentorship comes in so many different forms, and I think it, you can definitely have mentors for different skills or areas to upskill in for sure. Thank you. And the next sort of twelve months, Claire, what what does that look like for Snap? What does it look like for you? What what's on the agenda, or what exciting things have you got in store? I, think I can answer the Snap one more easily. Um, 
So we just held our Snap Partner Summit, which is essentially where we kind of sort of release our, our new features, new products. And we released just, just amazing innovations of what we're doing around AR, making the camera like augmented reality more into utility. We've done a uh, launch something called Minis, where we're integrating essentially apps, app experiences into the Snapchat experience, so like a partnership with Headspace. But the bit that excites me most about Snapchat from the offset we have spent a lot of time trying to get people to understand why Snapchat's different, why we're not social media and, and what we're setting out to do is different. I feel I was really excited when I was listening to our Snap Partner Summit that I think people are starting to realise why we're different. We genuinely build differently. Like we design our platform in a very human-centric way whereby we really believe technology can have a positive force on, on the world. And I think there's a lot of cynicism around technology right now. And I actually believe that when you design and build something in the right way and put your community first, it can be incredibly positive. So I'm really excited for Snap to keep sort of demonstrating to the world what we're doing. For me personally, I'm trying to figure out how we can go on holiday, really. It's the next, <laughs> it's like my short-term plan. You are not the only person thinking that. <laughs> I think, you know what, I think I take from the lockdown, you know, everyone goes, oh, I've just loved having more time with the family. And I have, but sometimes I think, has it been all quality time? Because it's been trying to merge everything. The bit I've loved, though, about this time at home with the girls and my husband is the pace has just been slower. We haven't been running around as much, like whether it's a, birthday party at the weekend or I'm traveling or my husband's traveling and I want to just in the next 12 months think about how we can keep a little bit of that because that's when yeah. you have quality time so I yeah. that's made me really reflect on that I think life has had become too like just too busy yeah that's such a good point I think and I, I would concur with that it's been uh, I've loved the quality family time and it, I, I feel yeah, I, it's definitely made me think about how I'm going to work going forward as well. And our last question, Claire, it's a big one. For any listeners that are thinking about making a big career move right now, what one final piece of advice would you give them before they do? I've been asked that question before. And the one word I usually answer is leap. If you're thinking about making a change, it's because you need to leap. So if an opportunity comes and it doesn't always look perfect, I sometimes think you should still leap because it might leap you to the next thing that is perfect. And I'm not saying you should just leave your company. It's as if you're having a moment thinking about where I am today isn't right for me. I'm not enjoying it or I'm not learning or growing. Then the answer is you have to leap. So I always think there's so many people that talk about doing it and don't leap. So that's why my answer to that question is always leap. It's a brilliant piece of advice to to end this conversation claire i think you've been a wonderful 40 minute mentor thank you so much for your time and yeah everyone at, at jbm wishes you and snap the, the very best for the months ahead thanks well, for being thank such you a for great guest me. it's been yeah, a pleasure thank you. <laughs> thank you i really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 minute mentor and if you did please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.